If you're just joining us for the first time today or if you're watching us on Facebook or YouTube, uh, we're really glad that you're here and watching. Uh, we are continuing our discussion on community. Uh, I think we're just going to probably finish out the whole year with it. I don't know. Um, I am currently going to start covering some messages uh, that folks in our church, or I am, I started last week, uh, covering some messages that are the folks in our church community have asked me to share with you. Uh, I began this whole series with five or six that the Lord gave and put on my heart. Then we went into Put Your Love On by Danny Silk. And now I'm just trying to, I mean, since then, people have just been sending me message after message. Um, and they're like, you need to share this with the church body. So remember what I told you. A lot of what we're going to say is going to be repetitive. And you need to be okay with that. Because every message, although there will be lines and themes that are repetitive, there's a gold nugget in there that maybe will explain it to someone in a different way from a different story in the Bible, and their light bulb will go off. Maybe your light bulb's been on for 15 years about this topic, but maybe for someone else it hasn't. So I think, you know, mature Christians, when they sit there and just kind of zone out, is, is, it's sad, really. To not think that the word is live and active like we read last week. And that you, that you think you can't learn anything new from a message. How many of you knew last week that in the parable of the lost son, that it was the community that restored the lost son, not just the father? I didn't know that. So I learned something new, even though I've heard that story preached my entire life. I never, never noticed that. I always just assumed it was the father that put the robe and the ring and the sandals on. And here it was the slaves. It was the community. Why? So that the son didn't just think that the father accepted him, but the rest of the community was still rejecting him. He had peace because everyone, of course, he thought his brother did too, but we found out later he didn't. So the, 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 the brother, the mature Christian, the mature Christian needed to be tweaked. <laughs> Convicted. Confronted by love to stop his stupid attitude and get in line with the word of God. How many of you need that once in a while? All right. I knew Keith would raise his hand. I was just hoping you would join him. <laughs> Last week, we talked about the importance of having bonding relationships. It really was a repetition of Alan's sermon, but I brought in two verses from his two stories that he didn't even mention. So a lot of it was re re repetition. He used the word covenant relationships. Last week, we talked about bonding in the way of discipling one another. That we need to disciple one another. Because there's something about bonding that we all need. Men need men, need men and women need women. Doing life together. Discipling one another. Going to battle together. Listen, last week's message does not happen on Sunday morning. Unless you come early and stay late. And we try to provide opportunities for you to stay late. What's more important today than this? What's happening right now? The activity of God. And there's a picnic sort of in the basement after church. What else do you have that's more important than that? Than connecting with your community. There may, you may have something. So don't feel guilty if you had something already on the schedule. That's not what I'm talking about. But we talk ourselves out of it. And then we whine and complain that we have no friends or connections at church. Really, you've been with me for 10 years. I haven't seen you at one church event and you're complaining to me that you have no friends in the church. So you've been sitting at home waiting for them to show up, right? When the Bible doesn't say that. 
the Bible says, and you're going to learn from today's story, the Bible says in order to have friends, you must show yourself friendly. It's an action, right? This week, I want to share some more material that someone sent for me from Chris Volatin that we'll cover over the next couple of weeks. Uh, I want to go from talking about that deep, intimate bonding relationship where we disciple one another while doing life with one another and talk to you about the importance of belonging. That's the theme over the next couple of weeks. What does it mean to belong to something or someone? If you've been through Dr. Shelley's inner healing encounter, you're familiar with the name Dr. Brene Brown. How many of are familiar with that? Up with her. She's a research professor at the University of uh, Houston. Uh, she's a social scientist with not one, but three PhDs. And has spent the last two decades studying courage, vulnerability, shame, and empathy. And if you listen to the results of her scientific and social findings, her research on those topics line up with biblical principles. Did you hear me? She went into a science and social research, and almost all of her findings line up with the Word of God. That shouldn't surprise us. Someone studies human behaviors, and as they explain their findings, ta-da, it's exactly what the Word of God says. And all God's people said, duh. Man, we got to learn this. It's either amen, ouch, or duh. That was a duh moment. I really want to share the verse you shared with me yesterday, Alan, but I'm not going to. If you come to the picnic after service, I will share the verse that Alan shared with me for my birthday. I'll just put it that way. I don't dare do it publicly. Make sure at some point you look up TED Talks and look for Dr. Brene Brown's The Power of Vulnerability. That is your homework assignment to go watch that. It's about a 15, 16 minute video. It is powerful. We show it at every inner healing encounter. She did a six-year study on what is the core, what is the core need of every human being. And it's not money. It's not sex. What is the one core need that all humanity shares in common? And after six years of research, she concluded that we are all neurologically wired. I had to practice that word. Neurologically wired. It's the study of emotions and stuff like that in the mind. For connection and belonging. We are all neurologically wired for connection and belonging. And love comes out of that. That's really what we're searching for. But it's really just to feel part of something. Because when you are, that's when you receive love. All the fruits of the Spirit. Hopefully if you're in a church. Belonging. Party. She actually said we are created to belong. And then she explains in your notes, if you're filling in the blanks, the greatest fear in the world that we have is that we are not going to belong. The greatest fear that we have is that we are not going to belong. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? That you're not going to fit in. Actor and comedian Robin Williams once said, listen to this, people say that the worst thing in the world is to be alone. But that's not true. The worst thing in the world is to be with people who make you feel alone. Powerful quote from someone who just took his own life. 
The point is we all have this deep need to be known, a need to stand out, to be seen, to be significant, or to fit in. And if we don't manage this need well, if we don't manage that need well, we're going to stand out in ways that are not good. Everyone in this room has the need to be known. And if, you're, if your immediate response is, not me, well, then what's that a sign of? Your need is being met. You're, you're already being known. We all have a desire to feel like, uh, we, we all have a desire to feel like people like me, that they embrace me, a desire to feel like you are a part of something. And if you don't have those feelings, it's probably because those needs are being met, which is a good thing. Think about this. Why do boys join dangerous gangs? To be a part of something. To be accepted. To feel like they're a part of something. And of course, we talked about one of the reasons last week. Because of a fatherless generation. They're lacking something. So they go look for fatherhood in other things. And if you don't manage that need well, it'll be in a gang who demands that you kill people to be part of it. That's what I'm talking about. Like it expresses itself in in bad ways if you're not careful. But think about this. Are we also beginning to lose a deep sense of family in our culture? Could it be that our, go ahead Richard, that our greatest dysfunction as a society is that people don't connect anymore? Could it be that our greatest dysfunction as a society is that people don't connect anymore? Children not being raised in families anymore. Some with families, but they're not connecting to anyone in the home. They're basically on their own, even though there's a family around. A lot of our sexual dysfunction comes out from the need to belong as well. Family didn't give it to you, so you go looking for it in other places. And because of sex outside of marriage, now we have children who are growing up basically without a name. They don't know who their mother is or their father or they've been adopted and they've been given a second name, but it's not the same. In your notes, this is one of the big parts and we'll bring it back out next week. Part of belonging, and that's why I made it so big so you could see this. Part of belonging is that you have a name. Are you tracking with me so far? I'm not saying you don't have a last name. Don't focus on that per se. I'm talking about something deeper. Mom and dad aren't married. Okay, they're divorced, they're separated. Am I a Hudson or am I a Smith? Who do I belong to? I'm confused. Where do I belong in this world? This is how our enemy is leveraging the orphan mindset. Think about the Lord's Prayer for a minute. Chris challenged us uh, in this sermon to remember what it says. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. If he's our Father, together, We all have a name. You see that? It's our father, not my father. And if he's our father, we have the same name. In your notes. I don't come to God as an individual as much as I come to him as a member of a family. So I don't know where you are in this life if you're adopted or if you don't know your mom or didn't know your dad. Like I never knew my dad. I could have really uh, struggled with identity my whole life because of that. Maybe your dad is alive, but he's not present. For whatever reason, you need to know that regardless of your earthly name, if you're a member of the family of God, you have a name. We're not just part of an earthly family. We, we become part of a heavenly family. Wait till, you, wait, till you, 
Wait till you get welcomed into heaven by your family. You're really going to understand what it means then. Think about this. God sent a member of the family to make you a member of his family. That's how much he wants you to know that you're part of a family. He sent a member of his family, his son, to earth so that you would know you're part of a family. That's powerful. Now do you understand why Dr. Brené's research landed on the biblical principle that people are neurologically wired to be connected? Because you were created by a man, by a person, by a God who wants family. And he has given you a name. People are neurologically wired to be connected. That's the biblical principle that she came up with. It wasn't her discovery. It was God's purpose all along. You were created to be a part of a family. In a way, uh, Dr. Brene is a little late to the game of life. We are incredibly thankful that she's sharing this message to important places outside of the church. But she's a little late to the game because God's the one that created this idea. Not her research. And I've got news for you as well. It's not evolution, my friend. It's not evolution. You are not a little squiggly thing that came to life, grew legs, walked out of the water, shaved off your beer, and became a truck driver. (laughs) That's not what happened. No offense to truck drivers. You did not just come to life in a body of water with no name, with no purpose. Listen, who all of a sudden, for some reason, stopped evolving, which completely throws out any argument that supports evolution. It's creation. You're part of a family, you have a name. And you not only have a purpose, you have a destiny that comes with your name. You see, I got news for you if you believe in evolution. Evolution takes you out of belonging. Evolution takes you out of belonging. Creation places you into something. It places you into the image of God. Which means, I mean, don't we say, you know, I mean, look at, look at Yenny's new baby. Don't you see Daniel and Yenny in that baby? The image of Daniel and Yenny. This is the way we were created in the image of God. That we were created into a family. We were created already belonging to someone. Some of us have just allowed the enemy to rob us of that. Listen, when it comes to this evolution thing, why do you think so many high school and college students are coming out of school after being taught that evolution is true and Christianity is false? They're coming out of that teaching, and they're asking. I'm angry right now. I'm I'm angry at the enemy. And they're coming out of that teaching, and they're asking, why was I born? Because in your notes, the fruit of evolution is no purpose. The fruit of evolution is no purpose. No destiny. No reason for being alive except to just evolve into something else. Do you know what evolution really means? You could wake up tomorrow and you could be an office desk. (laughs) I know. It's supposed to be funny because it's ridiculous. 
<laughs> oh, my word, I feel a filing cabinet start to produce on my rib cage. I, what am I becoming next? We laugh because that's how ridiculous it is. But since the enemy can't create on his own, he has to take this creation thing and he has to twist it and lie about it and teach you the opposite. And now we're coming out of college wondering, why are we born? What's my purpose in life? And see, something inside of all of us knows that there's something wrong with that, right? Because in your notes, we were created to be connected. We were created to be connected. And when you're not connected, you will never be satisfied. More importantly, when you're not connected, you will not be yourself. Who you were created to be. We know this, right? We know when we've disconnected, we didn't feel like ourselves. So what are we also saying? We're saying that if you are miserable, it's probably because you're not connected. Either to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God, or your church family. If you're miserable, it's probably because you're not connected. Do you realize that we can live in the same house with someone and not be connected to them? That's not a reason for divorce, by the way. Fix the connection. Hopefully they're willing to fix it with you. Chris added this. The greatest fear in the world is not death. The greatest fear you have is that you will reach out to someone and they are not going to reach back. That's the greatest fear. And by the way, you're not alone in that fear. We all deal with this fear. We just deal with it in different ways. We say things like, well, I don't give a rip. I don't care what anyone thinks. By the way, the more you say you don't care what anybody thinks, the more you actually care what people think. That's just something the enemy uses as a wedge to draw you away from community. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what Pastor Mark thinks. I don't care what Alan thinks. I don't care what Jared thinks. They can all go to hell, that church. That's what people do. They have to blame us for their own turmoil, their own deceit, their own lies that they're partnering with. Thank God we have broad shoulders here at Light and Life. We can take it and try to help them heal eventually when they're ready. But we don't have to get offended at those statements. We keep our love on. Turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, it's page 1052 in the Black Bibles underneath your chairs. Once again this week, another familiar story. Will you look for something fresh and new to apply to your walk with God? We're going to look at the woman at the well story. In light of what we're talking about today, belonging. Watch how profound this really is in this interaction between Jesus and a woman who according to law, he was supposed to ignore and move past her. John 4, verse, starting with verse 7. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. We're going to read the whole story and then come back and break it down. Verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. If you know that, right away you should go, oh, a Jew and a Samaritan crossing paths? No, no, no. They don't do that back then. They avoid each other because they hate each other. Not just for a year, for years this has been going on. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, 
dare to ask me for a drink, a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God that was standing right before you, and who it is to say, and who it is that said to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him for a drink, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, you see what's going on? You would have forgot about your hate if you would have, knew who, if you would have known who I really was. If you knew that you be, the family that you actually belong to, if you would have known that we're brother and sister, you would have asked me for a drink. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. See, you see, this is what happens. We don't get the spiritual undertone of what people are saying to us sometimes. And we just look at the natural. Well, I have cancer. What do you mean I can be healed? What? Everybody dies of cancer, right? This is what we do. Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank it for him? drank it from him itself, himself, as well as his sons and livestock. Jesus answered and said to her in verse 13, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. There's a whole sermon right there that we're not even going to touch on. The woman said to him, you see, every time Jesus taught, there are multiple sermons. Last week, multiple sermons. This week in this story, multiple sermons. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. All of a sudden, she's talking with a Jew. How did this happen? They're having a conversation. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Basically, go get your husband and come back. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom with you are, and the one you're with now is not your husband. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I just got caught. In that, you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where no one ought to worship is the place where one ought to worship. We worship here, you worship there. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will, you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what, we, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit, not flesh. You have to put your fleshly concerns aside and worship God for who he is. And perhaps, perhaps the earthly fleshly things will grow strangely dim in the light of his presence and glory. Right? That's true worship. I'm not going to focus on the picnic this afternoon. I'm not going to focus on the fact that I don't have a job. I'm going to worship God for who he is because he's going to help me with all of that. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said out loud, what do you seek, woman? Or Jesus, why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way, went her way into the city, and said to the men there, uh-oh, 
Someone went through inner healing. And now she doesn't care what the law says. I got to tell you what God did. Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They went out of the city and came to him. And you'll have to read the rest of the story. It, the rest of the story is crazy. I want to point out why the crazy happened. For the sake of our conversation today, I just want to point out a couple things here. Not everything, because there's a ton of sermons in this story. But in this culture, back then, this woman had two things against her. She's a woman, and she's a Samaritan. So when the disciples come back, they were in shock that Jesus was talking to a woman. She was in, she was in shock because Jesus was talking to a Samaritan. This woman in the story is the example of our greatest fear that what if I reach out and you don't reach back? She has rejection all over her. Did you notice it when we read the story? She's like, he's going to reject me. He's a Jew and he's a man. So she does what we do when we clothe ourselves with the blanket of rejection. She's like, you know what? I'll reject you before you reject me. It's the lie of self-protection. Jesus says, can you give me a drink? She says, what are you doing asking me for a drink? You Jews. You think that you're better than us Samaritans. You think that God came from your branch. So why are you asking me for a drink? I'll reject you before you can reject me. She's a woman who's expecting to get rejected. Most of the time, when you look for something hard enough, you'll find it. Unless you run into Jesus. Unless you run into me. Because I want to be Jesus. Like him. Please don't take that as a cultish comment. I don't mean, I'm not going to make you drink Kool-Aid. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay. Everyone's expecting to be rejected to some extent. What will, what will they experience when they run into you? Will your love be on? Or will you give them what they're looking for? But Jesus is so cool. She's expecting to be rejected, and Jesus is so cool. He's, he's going, he's, instead of giving into the societal norm, he says, well, if you knew who I was, a gift to you, you would ask me for a drink first, and then I would give you one, and you will never be thirsty again. Listen, immediately, immediately, because of his response, immediately when she realizes that she might not be rejected, she says something unbelievably profound. I don't know if it's up there or not. Are you greater than whose father? That's a connection word. That's profound. Are you greater than our father, Jacob? All of a sudden, there's a connection in your notes. The moment the woman at the well feels connected, in just a little way, she feels, oh, you're not going to reject me. You value me. And then Jesus does something that is completely illegal. He begins to teach a woman spiritual things. It was illegal to teach women in the days of Jesus. And if you're really paying attention to the gospel writers, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to notice that whenever they give an account for who's there, 
They mention how many men were there, how many women, and how many children on purpose. Because they saw Jesus do this with the woman at the well. They're bringing value back to every human being. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. They went out of their way to bring value and connection to the outcasts of society. And in Jesus' day, it was definitely women and sometimes even children. And here Jesus is teaching this woman about the spirit world. And by doing what is not the norm in that society, he's connecting with her. He's going out of his way to make sure that this woman knows that she belongs to someone. He's basically saying to her, you are valuable. And I don't care what society says about you. I don't care what the male species says about you. You are worthy of connection with me. And this is so huge. In that story, this is where a shift happens in the atmosphere as well. How many of you know that as followers of Christ, we are called to be atmosphere shifters? If we walk into a room and sense darkness and lies, we are to push back and bring light and truth to that room. To bring a shift of authority to that place. We are atmosphere shifters. You may not know it. So listen very closely to this. This is going back a couple series. If you actually had an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit, he would give you the wisdom to recognize darkness in the room. And if you actually knew the power and authority that you have as followers of Christ, you would have the courage to drive out that darkness in the name of Jesus. And you don't have to do it out loud. You can go into a bed. You can just say, hey, I got to go to the bathroom. And you go in that bathroom, and all of a sudden, they're like, man, she must be sick because she's in there going, no, that's not diarrhea. That's speaking in tongues. Sorry, I had to put it that way, but. You don't have to scare everybody in the room. You can quietly, under your breath, push back darkness. Because you have the power to do that. You don't have to be loud and, and what, it, what is this, a couple of sermons ago? Loud and in charge. You don't have to overwhelm people with your spirituality. You just do it because you're pushing back on something that they're unaware of. And if they knew, if they were aware of it, they would all be freaked out. We have to do this on Sunday morning sometimes. Sometimes some of you walk in here with darkness on you and we have to push it back. Sometimes it's us and we go to each other and say, I'm struggling, Amy, you need to pray for me. I can't preach this way. So we do it too. We come in with it on us sometimes. In this story, a shift happens in the atmosphere at the well. In your notes, the moment that Jesus connects with her, she goes from a defensive attitude, you're not allowed to talk to me, to a humble posture, I can learn from you. You get that? This is the shift that we're supposed to bring to the world to change their defensive attitude into a humble posture by the way we respond to them. And when she feels connected, not condemned or shamed, she begins to ask questions that she's been wondering about for years. Did you hear that, believer? The moment she felt connection and safe, she started asking questions that she's been wanting to know for years. The enemy has convinced you that your coworkers don't want nothing to do with God. That is not true. They have so many questions and they have no one to go to. 
because they don't even know you're a Christian because of the way you're acting at work. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. That was the Holy Spirit that just took over for that moment. The enemy's good at what he does. Well, every time I bring up Jesus in the break room, they laugh. Well, keep bringing them up, and eventually they may start crying. They may be laughing at you right now, but that's a defense mechanism. The church has hurt me. I'm the woman at the well. I've come rejected. I want nothing to do with Christians and churches. You know why? Because they haven't run into a real church or a real Christian in a long time. Right? That's what Todd White preaches. I can't even imagine this. Just, just that thought alone. We could just say, let's go home right there on that note. When she felt a little bit connected, she started asking questions that she's had for years. Our fathers worshiped here, and you Jews say it's over there. And who's got it right? Who's right? What did Jesus basically say? None of us. No one is. Because there's going to be a day we're all worshiping together. Today, it's not about light and life's worship. Today is about the fact that churches all over America and all over the world are lifting up voices to the King of Kings. And what if that happened every single day all over the world? Can I just tell you? It's what Alan's been praying for. Revival. Why are we only doing it for an hour and a half a week? You see, she's been longing to ask these questions. And now, now that she feels connected to someone, in this case, a male rabbi, she opens up the wells of knowledge. Let me put it this way. She's been longing to belong. She's just been longing to belong. Up to this point, it seems that she had no one to talk to about this stuff. And in that society, it makes a lot of sense. Women weren't even allowed to, question, to ask questions about the Torah. The word that they had at that time. At least no one gave her the time of day until, until she runs into Jesus. And that, my friends, is what your coworkers should be running into. You, an ambassador for Christ on earth. At the well of your workplace. I don't know what that is. Is it the water cooler? Is it the break room? Is it your dinner table at home with your kids? The living room with your family? It's everywhere we go. The story gets even more interesting. Jesus then says, go and get your husband. How many of you know that this encounter at the well is no mistake? And this encounter at the well is not just about this woman. Jesus is passing by to transform a city. But he's going to use one person just like he wants to use you and me. Not just to transform us, but to transform a city. You hearing that? This is not a random incidental meeting. Why? Because Jesus is on a mission. The question is, are you? Jesus doesn't have a day to waste. Do you? Alan's always telling Andrew and I, I'm out winning souls. Sorry, I can't play video games. I'm out winning souls. That's the big joke now in our life group. I'm out winning souls. But seriously, we don't have a day to waste to be depressed to be offended, to, to hold on to unforgiveness. We don't have a day to waste, Christians, believers. 
Jesus was also always intentional about going out of his way to make people feel connected. Do you? Do you go out of your way to make people feel connected? Do you come to church early and stay late to make sure that our new people feel connected? Do you have, or do you have a great excuse why you can't? Some of you have some really good excuses that will go over really well in hell. Do you invite people to your home? Or do you have a great excuse why you can't? Do you attend church events? Or do you have a great excuse why you can't? Do you even talk to people about Jesus? Or do you have a great excuse about why you can't? Moses had a great excuse. I can't speak. I stutter. And Jesus said, ooh, this is going to be good. I'm going to use a stutterer to speak my word into an evil king. It's going to be better because you can't speak. Because you're weak, I'm going to make you strong. He leverages it, and we, we allow it to take us out. Can you turn our fans on, Jerry? Are you getting this? Are you tracking with me so far? Excuses, excuses, we hear them every day. Listen, you feeling connected, remember, we don't put a lot of weight on our feelings, but you feeling connected is not up to me or the church. It's up to you to do something about it. And if we're all going to, if we're all going out of our way to connect with somebody in our body, guess what? Everyone will feel connected. But the reason that so many people in the church don't feel connected is because you're leaving that up to me. One person to do all the connecting. Bottom line, if you're feeling disconnected, do something about it. Get connected. Be Jesus and be intentional about making connections with people. And not just easy people, but also broken and hurting and lonely people. The outcasts of our society. Jesus says, go get your husband. And she said, well, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, that's true. You've had five husbands. And the one you're with now is also not your husband that you're sleeping with outside of marriage undertone. How many of you know that Jesus already knew this? Because you can kind of tell by the passage. Okay, then what is he doing here? Is he trying to shame her? Did Jesus just make this connection to point out her sin and condemn her? Does that sound like Jesus? Then you shouldn't do it either. But in order to answer that, you have to understand the culture in Jesus' day. In those days, women did not divorce men. Only men could divorce women. So think about this for a moment. This woman didn't choose divorce. This woman didn't choose divorce. To be rejected. Probably dreamed of having the man of her dreams and live happily ever after. But instead, this woman has been rejected not once, not twice, but five times. Because back then, that's what men could do. And now even the one who is with her in the home is basically rejecting her as well. Because it's at least implied here that he's not going to marry her. So Jesus isn't saying, you sinner, I've seen you've been married five times. You should be ashamed. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, honey, I get that you've been rejected over and over and over and over. 
And now you have a guy who is rejecting you every single day of your life. And I just want you to know, if no one else gets that, I do. And I connect with you. In those days, divorce was rampant. I've actually heard that if you compared the rate of divorce with the amount of people who are on earth and, and living there, um, statistically from then till now, we're, we actually look good today. Women were not valued. They threw them away like rags. And women weren't even allowed to go into court to defend themselves. Why? Because the stigma back then was that she's just going to lie. They couldn't own property. They couldn't be taught the Torah. All they were good for was go get me some water at the well. And one day, as she's doing her normal everyday duties as a woman, the only thing that she was good for, she runs into a man who would change her life forever. And Jesus says, I know that five husbands threw you away. And the one that you have now is rejecting you. You fear that he's also going to throw you away. But let me tell you something. I value you. I love you. Folks, this is the Jesus we're supposed to be. Remember from last week that I told you that my number one concern is that we've, been, we've become so self-centered that we just don't care, that we've lost our compassion. Well, like the older son in the parable last week, that comes from a condemning, self-righteous, look at the sliver in your eye, religious spirit. So let me ask you, and you have to be honest in your heart. Don't raise your hand, Keith. Just be honest in your heart. How would you have looked at this woman after she told you her story of five divorces and now sleeping with another man? How would you have looked at her? Huh? Be honest. Would you have looked at her like Jesus did with compassion and with an intentional, purposeful desire going out of his way to make her feel loved and connected because of her broken story? Or would you have judged her from your comfortable religious church chair? Listen, Jesus was Jesus in your notes. He was, no, he's actually just Jesus. I mean, not in your notes, but in your notes. Jesus was Jesus. He knew her story without asking her. But we're not Jesus. We're not that good. I mean, you can, the Spirit can speak to you about people's stories. So we do have that power. But most of us do not walk in what he was walking in that day. So, so the bottom line is, it's going to take what? More effort. Everybody say more effort. You better say it again. It's going to take more effort on our part to actually meet with people and listen to their story. Everybody say, listen to. Listen to. Judge Judy says you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. You're supposed to be listening more than you're speaking. Amen. A lot of biblical truth from a lady I love. I don't even know if she's saved, but. I have to remember this. This is one of, my, one of my weaknesses that I'm trying to turn into a strength. It's going to take more effort on our part to make connections with people and to listen to their story instead of just judging them on Sunday morning because of something we've seen or heard secondhand. Do you know that sadly most of us in this room, if we're lucky, only know one or two people's stories? 
if we're lucky, and we call ourselves a family, we call ourselves a community, we call ourselves the bride of Christ, and you know, let me just address this behavior thing. Do you know that a lot of behaviors that we judge are coming from a painful story? And I'm becoming more and more convinced that if, if you just knew their story, you would drop your stones. If you just knew their story, you would be able to hand them the same mercy and grace, ding, 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 that God gives you every single moment of every day. If you actually connected with them, you would put your stones down. I don't know how you know anybody on Sunday morning. And people say to me, well, I think she's raising her hands just to look spiritual. Why are you looking at her? Why are you staring at her? Why don't you stare at heaven when you're worshiping? What the heck is going on in church? Well, pastor, I haven't done my whiny voice in a long time. Alan probably has never heard it. I don't know. Well, pastor, no one invites me over. So how am I going to know their story? Well, honey, you just missed the point of today's message. But because you're finally waking up from your nap, let me help you out. Jesus is the one who went to the well. That lady was probably there every single day. She was at her home. He went to her place to bring connection. But everyone rejects me. Well, honey, go home and listen to this message again because the reason that Jesus connected with this rejected woman is because he was rejected too. Every day of his ministry, he was rejected. And the reason that he was able to minister to her while being rejected is because he didn't allow the rejection to define who he was. He had a name, the Son of God. You have a name, a child and son of the King of Kings. Right? Rejection does not define us. Rejected people cause hurt and pain on other people. So we can't let the rejection. We need to be like Teflon. We need to have our shield up. We need to resist the darts of the enemy. He didn't allow the enemy to steal his identity or destiny. Here's the message. And I just want to say this out loud because you need to really hear this. Believer, we need to stop being so easily offended. How many of you know that Jesus is a multitasker? <laughs> Probably the best ever. The disciples come back and walk right into this conversation. And they marveled, the, the scripture says, they marveled that he was even talking with a woman. And yet no one said out loud, what do you seek, woman, from this Jew? You're a Samaritan. You're not supposed to be talking to him. And Jesus, why are you talking with her? Can you just hear them whispering? I'm not asking them. You ask them. I'm not asking them. You ask them. I'm not interrupting him. The last time I interrupted him, he rebuked me and told me to get behind him. I'm not doing that again. I mean, that was later, but so just let it go, Alan. While Jesus was connecting with this woman, while Jesus was connecting with this woman, he was also teaching his disciples how to connect. And he was saying to his disciples what our title is today. This is how we treat people with respect and value and honor, regardless of their past, so that they will know that they belong, Amen. Amen. at least to our family. Amen. 
Now, this woman who was rejected by everyone is completely undone by the love and acceptance and connection that she has just witnessed. She's so undone that she goes back to her city where, remember, she's the outcast of all outcasts. It's an undertone. I don't know that for sure. But she's probably one because she's been divorced so many times. She, obviously, what are the men going to do? They're going to say, well, it was all her fault. He told us that in court. She wasn't allowed to defend herself. So now the stories are spreading amongst the community that she just keeps screwing up at husband after husband. And I almost can guarantee you that when she was walking to the market, they wouldn't even look at her. She's probably an embarrassment to the people in her city. They probably never looked at her when she walked by. But she goes back. And she starts to share what she experienced at the well. Listen, she didn't just go back and say, this man must be a prophet because he knew my broken past. Her message, the undertone of her message was also, this man knew my past and valued me anyway. Hey men, I know I'm not supposed to talk to you, but men, I found a man who values me. You need to go talk to him. He may be the Messiah, because normal men don't do this. He must be the Christ. That's what it's going to take in your workplace. That's what it's going to take in our church and in our community. Not so normal believers. The normal believer now is living in sin, and they don't have a witness to share. They don't have a good story to share with people, because they're doing the same thing as the world. In your notes, the woman at the well wasn't impressed with what he knew. She was impressed with how much he cared. There's a saying that you've heard me say, and it's in our Tiffany video. People don't care how much you know unless they know how much you care. That's what she was impressed with is he he values me. She receives value in the midst of rejection, and it transformed her life. And you know what else happens if you read on? She transforms an entire city. I just want you to let that sink in your souls for a minute. I know your spirit knows that, but your soul needs to know this. That it's very possible that the next person that you love on, the next person that you care for, the next person that you have compassion, you show compassion to, the next person that you disciple, the next person that you meet at the well, the next person that you invite over to your house, It's very possible the next person that you make feel belong could be the one who transforms Dubois in the Tri-County area. Could be the next one that completely transforms the state of Pennsylvania or a nation. They could be the next Billy Graham. They could be the next president of the United States and have a godly influence over nations. Can you imagine in a presidential address... The president of the United States says, I owe this all to my Sunday school teacher back in 2021 when she got in my face and told me to cut it out and start living for Christ. And so that's what I will bring to the nations of this world. The message of hope and healing and purpose. Can I go back to the the evolution thing? I believe when God spoke that to me, for this message, I believe now I know what he means by hope, healing, and purpose because evolution steals that from people. And we want, to, we want people to know what their identity in Christ is. In 
Jesus Christ. Not just in light and life. Their purpose in Jesus. Their destiny. Their calling. We give them hope. You can be healed. We provide healing through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Not because of us, but through the power. And then we guide them down the road to seek and search for why they're here. What is your ministry? What is your calling? What is your purpose? Why are you on planet Earth? Because evolution steals that from you. That's not all that's happening in this story. We're, we're coming to a close now, but that's not all. I just got to share everything that's going on that I see. There's more. Think about this. It's not only that the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews as well. In your notes. So when Jesus makes this connection with her, by receiving the love, by receiving whatever she received that she needed to receive, the connection, the belonging, the acceptance, because some of us are keeping church at a distance because of church wounds, and we're not receiving anything. So guess what? You're going to stay miserable. Because she received it, she crosses over the boundaries of hate and breaks generational curses of us against them. One woman, one man, sitting at a well having a conversation. She breaks generational curses of offense, getting easily offended, of hate. And then she goes into her city, now this new transformed, revived powerhouse because she's let go of all of her rejection and she drives out that darkness in the entire city i mean come on folks belonging is so important that it affects nations one outcast woman transforms a city what would happen if we knew that we belonged what would happen if we had no fear of disconnection what would happen if we came out of agreement with the orphan mindset? Nobody cares about me. God doesn't even notice me. I'm all alone. I don't belong anywhere. Orphan. That you could be fully alive and transparent and vulnerable because you know that in your community you are loved in spite of everything or anything you've done. That's the church I want to attend. You see, this is what people are longing for, a family to belong to, not a place of just rules and regulations. Rules are good. Chris even reminded us in this sermon, rules keep us from danger, but rules without connection will just make you hate the rules. By the way, do you know what people are not looking for when they come to church? They don't want to come into another orphanage where there are no fathers and mothers in the house. And I'm not talking about Angel and I, just Angel and I. I'm reminding you of last week's message. Everyone being discipled by someone in order for everyone to feel like they belong. They want family members, not silent, isolated family members. Family members who are engaged and connected and doing life together. Let's stand. I'm going to stop there for today. We're going to pick right back up where I left off next week. And I'm going to give you a list of what it means to belong and another list. But for right now, I'm going to ask the pastor's cabinet to come up front and spread out. We're not worried about time because we're not a church that watches the clock. I'm just going to give you the opportunity. You can be dismissed after I pray. Richard's going to put on a song. 
I just want you to close your eyes for a minute. And I want you to think about the woman at the well. If you are here today or listening to this message, I'm, I'm wondering if you relate at all to that woman. Maybe you feel like an outcast. Maybe you don't feel like you belong anywhere. Maybe you feel like you've been rejected a lot in your life. Or, or maybe even just recently, someone has rejected you. Ask this question as you, as you have your eyes closed. Do I tend to get offended very easily? Are you here or listening to this and you don't know what your purpose in life is anymore? You don't feel like your life has meaning. You feel alone. If you're not here with us today and listening to this, God wants you to respond today by coming out of agreement with those lies. And every time those lies enter your mind, you renounce it out loud. By renouncing, you're declaring it out loud. You're saying it out loud that it is a lie and it's from the pit of hell. And I reject it. I refuse to believe it. And then you replace it with the truth. What does God actually say about you? What is the opposite of the lie? Because that is the truth. If you're here in person, I want you to respond by coming up front to have some of your spiritual parents connect with you, to pray over you. And, and what I want to do, what I really felt uh, as I was finishing this out on Friday is I really, I just, uh, pastor's cabinet, I want to call out destiny in people. I want people who felt like they lost their name and their identity to get it back. I, I want them to come out of partnership with lies and out of agreement with the, with the with lies of the enemy. So listen, I, don't just leave here today. Have the courage to come to the well today because Jesus is waiting. This isn't about the pastor's cabinet. Jesus is waiting for you here to transform you so that you can transform your city and your family and your friends and your workplace in the name of Jesus. Come when you're ready. Father, I just pray that you will bring identity back where identity has been stolen, that you will bring the truth back to lies, that you will replace us back where we belong, seated in heavenly places with you, as a son and daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That you will heal us over being rejected so easily and being offended, or being rejected and being offended so easily over petty things because there's an issue, really, a deep-rooted issue that's there. Holy Spirit, I ask you not to waste any time today and you get to the root of that issue in the name of Jesus. Come, come, don't wait. Come to the well. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message from Dubois Light and Life Church. We hope you're blessed by it. To hear more messages or get more information about Light and Life Church, please visit DuboisFMC.org or check us out on Facebook.